Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping over the watch of their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was... With the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Just so excited to get up here. It's time now. All right. Let's pray together. Father God, it is a joy to gather and worship you this morning. As we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son, the ultimate picture of your love, sent to purchase us from death by laying his life down for your glory and for our salvation. God, stir our hearts this morning by your Spirit, through your Word, that your church would live as the hands and feet of Jesus in a hopeless and confused world. Amen. Well, good morning. There's a lot of you here today. A lot of people want to worship Jesus on Christmas. That's good. A few of you got dragged here. I get that. It happens. You can forgive your family members that did that. But great to be here on Christmas morning. What better way to celebrate the birth of our Savior than gathering as his people to worship? And I know that this pushes against some of the culturally normative events surrounding this holiday, but your very presence here this morning is a resounding message to your children and to this world about where our true hope lies. And I won't talk too long this morning. I know we have more children in here than normal, and they are excited about today, but I do want to spend a few minutes looking at Uh, part of the Christmas story that that we all know, but likely seldom slow down and think about. We're going to be in Luke's account of the Christmas story, as Leah just read, but what I want to focus in on from the story this morning is the manger, this inanimate object in which our Savior lay on the day that he was born. And Luke is actually the only New Testament writer to use the word manger. And my hope this morning is that you will see the significance of the manger, 
that even the, the details surrounding Jesus' birth are full of purpose, they tell us something about our Savior and should bring us tremendous joy, as the angel said. This word manger is not a common word in our culture. I'm quite certain that I have never used the word manger in a sentence to reference anything other than the Christmas story, right? I'm pretty sure that's the case for the majority of the people in this room. Most of us know the word manger because of Luke's account of Jesus' birth. And, and if we're honest, the whole account of Jesus' birth, this, the idea of manger, gives us kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling, doesn't it? It's a manger. Cute baby Jesus in the cute little manger with the happy petting zoo animals all just gazing into Jesus' eyes. Right? I've seen your nativity scenes. The animals are always looking at Jesus. But what we all know on some level, but probably don't think deeply about, is that this manger was not a glorified crib. It was quite literally a feeding trough for animals. Horses and donkeys and cattle ate from this manger. This was definitely not a first time expecting mother's ideal birthing situation. In a smelly barn surrounded by farm animals laying your newborn son in a feeding trough it sounds like a nightmare am i right kelsey she's in here somewhere i told her just don't have the baby before christmas and she didn't she's about to have baby number five and if you've had kids i, I thought four was a lot and then everybody thinks five is cool now but with each kid you get more and more and more lax but i'm still quite certain that Kelsey's not dreaming about a dirty barn full of animals as her ideal birthing location. Can't wait for baby April number five to be set in that feeding trough. Amen. <laughs> but in the Christmas story, there was a purpose behind the manger. Luke pulls our attention to this manger three times in chapter two. He says, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the end. And then the angel said to the shepherds, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And then in verse 16, they went with haste, that is the shepherds, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So what is it that Luke is telling us through this manger? And first off, as I already alluded to, we shouldn't romanticize this picture. I'm, I'm sure that Mary and Joseph cleaned it up as best they could and padded the manger so that it would make a comfortable bed, but there is no way around the fact that this is a feeding trough for slobbering animals on the ground in a dirty barn. The first bed for the Son of God... The long-awaited Messiah, the king of kings, was not a royal crib. It wasn't even a, a, a simple bed. But it was a food trough where scraps of food were thrown for animals to consume. And the reason that this is so significant is because, secondly, this was the plan. It was planned. 
You see, it's easy to read the story as if Mary and Joseph just had bad luck. Fate was against them. Or it's random misfortune during a busy season, right? Man, that's a bummer. Luke says that Mary laid him in a manger because there was no place for him at the end. It's just bad timing. And from Mary and Joseph's perspective, this had to have been a confusing situation, right? It had to have challenged their faith. If you're visited by an angel sent by the sovereign God of all creation and told that your son would be called son of the most high, that the Lord would give him the throne of his father David and he would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there would be no end. That sounds pretty huge. That's a lot to wrap your mind around. And Mary would have known the prophecies about this child. We, we just walked through the book of Malachi, who prophesied about Jesus 400 years before his birth. And Micah prophesied 700 years before his birth and told him the city where he would be born. Micah chapter 2, verse 5, You, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. They're headed to the city. This is the place. God said, this is the sun. So knowing all of that, all the prophecies, all the promises, after centuries of waiting for this child to be revealed, Mary and Joseph show up in Bethlehem, and there's not a room for them. First-time mother, about to give birth to a child prophesied by the God of all creation centuries before, but God didn't arrange a room for the king of kings. I can only imagine the thoughts going through their heads, right? The doubts, the fears, the questions. But God's plan for our lives doesn't always follow the simple, seamless struggle-free trajectory that we desire. He often places us in struggles and trials and frustrations for purposes beyond our understanding. I mean, think about it. The fact that they're having to travel cross-country when Mary is nine months pregnant is crazy in and of itself, right? We don't travel like to Austin in a car when you're nine months pregnant because you don't know. Right? There's a hospital every 10 minutes, but you have one that you want to go to. I have to be at that place. You see, God could have just picked a faithful virgin who was already living in Bethlehem to fulfill his prophecy. Or he could have had Mary and Joseph just live there or move there. But instead, he chose Mary and Joseph who lived in Nazareth, not Bethlehem. And he plans for Mary to get pregnant far from this town where Jesus was prophesied to be born in. But even still, there were plenty of simpler ways he could have rectified the situation. There could have been an emergency with a family member or a legal issue causing them to have to travel to Bethlehem long before the time to give birth. That would have been easy for the sovereign Lord of all creation to pull off. But that's not what he did. God went to great lengths to fulfill the prophecies. He used an empire-wide census. That's crazy, right? Where God could have just moved two people, he decided to move an empire. 
God arranged that the most powerful leader in the world would order everyone in the empire to go to the town of their origin to register, which is probably why there was no room for them to sleep in the town. It might be a little bit of providential overkill, but I love it. And maybe it's God making a point for all of us that you kind of look at the world or you look at your life and you, you, you think you know what I'm doing. You see things and you decide that they're spiraling out of control, but you have no idea. I'm, I'm putting things in place exactly as I please, including the crazy circumstances surrounding the birth of my son. And so it's silly to think that the God who spoke creation into existence and moves emperors and empires to get one woman from Nazareth to Bethlehem can't arrange for there to be a guest room available. Planning a bed for his son would be easier than orchestrating an empire-wide census, right? But if we know God or read the Bible, we know that this was more than just circumstance. Or misfortune. Jesus was exactly where his father wanted him. In a barn. In a manger. Lying in this feeding trough. And it's important that we realize this. In many ways this was the worst case scenario for Mary and Joseph. A woman going into labor while out of town with nowhere but a barn to sleep. Worst case scenario. And how often do we find ourselves in worst-case scenarios, in hard situations, struggling, suffering, being stretched? And we think, God must be absent. God must have forgotten us. And yet, what we see in this story is that while everything was seemingly going wrong for Mary and Joseph, well, everything about this situation was likely the opposite of what they had envisioned for the birth of this child. God was right in the middle of it, orchestrating every detail for a purpose beyond their imagination. The manger was always the plan. Always. Just as 1 Peter 1.20 says, He, that is Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last days for the sake of you. See, from before the foundation of the world, redemption through Jesus, from the manger to the cross, was ordained by God. The manger was always the plan. But it was also a sign. The angel of the Lord said something to the shepherds that was too good to be true. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. But how would they know who he is? How, how would they know how to find one baby in a giant town packed full of people? They needed a sign. And the angel gave them a sign. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So, so what was the sign that the angel was giving these shepherds? It can't be the swaddling clothes, right? Every baby in Bethlehem would have been wrapped in swaddling clothes. The sign was the manger. But the shepherds had to have, have thought that they misheard the angel. 
This certainly could not be the case. The angel just said that on this day, a Savior was born. Christ the Lord was born. The long-awaited, long-anticipated Messiah and King. And he's lying in a feeding trough. That has to be the sign, because no other baby in all of Bethlehem, especially no king, would be lying in a manger. Find him, and you will find the king of kings. And you will know something crucial and different about this kingship. You see, what neither Mary or Joseph nor the shepherds or the wise men to come could understand at this moment even what we struggle to realize is that the manger was Jesus' first step towards the cross. The ideas of a king in a manger and a king on a cross challenge our understanding of what it means to be a king. But from the moment of his birth, God was proclaiming to the world that this king and this kingship would be like no other. As Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Unlike the rulers of the world that you see out there, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came. They all had ideas of what a king, what a savior, what a messiah and lord would be in their minds, but there was no way they could ever comprehend the trajectory of Jesus' life. Our savior's life starts low and ends lower. This is the point of Philippians 2, 6 through 8, though he was in the form of God. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, literally starting lower than a servant, right? Starting in a feeding trough. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is how our Savior saves. From infinite glory to a feeding trough, to a cross. That's how he saves. And he says to us, follow me. Follow me. It's a, it's a lowly road. It's a hard road. But there is no greater joy than to be on this road with Jesus. Trusting and following and knowing that there is nothing we will give up in this life that we will long for in eternity. Jesus says, follow me. From the manger to the cross, a life laid down, a life poured out for the glory of God and the good of others. That is a life worthy of praise. But I think there's something in us that wants to romanticize Jesus' birth. There is. We want a warm, fuzzy, feel-good birth that we can talk about while singing Christmas songs and opening presents. And the reason is because oftentimes what we want from Jesus is a warm, fuzzy, feel-good life. Like the Israelites, we want a conquering king who came to make our lives easier. 
But the good news of great joy that will be for all the people was that this king didn't come in a royal crib, but a feeding trough. He came in the most humble way possible with a life that started low and ended lower. He came not to conquer empires and fight for power, but to conquer sin by laying his power aside and laying his life down so that we might experience eternal life and joy in the presence of God forever. And when Jesus says, follow me, he's not calling us to the upward mobility that our culture praises, but rather the downward mobility of a life lived for the glory of God and for the good of others. It is a call to pour out our lives so that others might know the God who sent his son in a manger to take our sin upon himself and give us his righteousness, that we might enjoy the presence of God for eternity. So, if we go back to the shepherds in the field on that starry night, the angel tells them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. I bring you good news of great joy. The king has arrived. The savior is here. Go quickly. He'll be the king laying in the feeding trough. And then suddenly a multitude of heavenly hosts burst, burst into praise, singing glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. The king has come in a manger. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you this morning. You are the God who sent his son to be a king who would die for his people. There is no greater gift in all the world. God, all other gifts will lose their luster. All other hopes will fade. All other leaders will disappoint. But as all these things of the world shift under our feet, your love and your faithfulness is unwavering. You are our firm foundation. God, let us be a people who hope in you this morning and who look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.